0: This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, May 1st. Welcome to episode 91 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Paul and I are twin brothers from Champaign, Illinois. This is a weekly baseball podcast. Uh, Paul, how's it going? It's going all right. It's been um, kind of a dreary day here in, in Champaign but uh not letting the weather dictate the day. It's been a pretty good day. How about you? Yep, uh we're recording this on Saturday night, which is not our normal time. Usually we record on Sunday afternoon, uh but due to a scheduling conflict uh, I could not record, so uh this is a Saturday night podcast so if we miss anything on uh on Sunday, you can forgive us. Uh but I'm I'm doing well. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's rained for like four straight days here. Feels like Seattle. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh, intro to this week's podcast. We have an interview with Bill Ballew of uh, a newspaper near uh, Boston. Sounds like a fictional newspaper writer from a movie or something. Yes, Bill Ballew, uh he's, he's a guy that I intervie- interviewed earlier today. Uh, really nice guy. Um, he wrote an article about youth baseball participation in the Boston area, and it was something that I was interested in because I helped uh, coach our nephew's uh, little league team this week. So, our brother John was uh, out of town, and so I filled in as assistant coach and um, just kind of immersed myself in youth baseball. And it got me thinking about kind of current trends in youth baseball. And I assumed that participation was down, um, and it is. And he wrote an article about that. So, I interviewed him about that, and then also the Red Sox. He has covered the Red Sox uh, for over 20 years now. And uh, I think he's the first guest we've had on that has a uh, Hall of Fame vote. Hmm. Wow. Right? We haven't interviewed anyone that votes, yeah. votes for the Hall of Fame. No, I guess just off the top of my head, now that you're right. Yeah, I think he uh, he is a uh, guy that votes for the steroid users. Mm-hmm. He's in my camp. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I can't think of anything else. That's a historic. This is like our uh, the Dan Winkler equivalent of a beat writer. Sure. Uh, so we have an interview with him. Uh, we also have a deep dive into the Pittsburgh drug trials of the mid-1980s, and then uh, a recap of our last Seinfeld uh, baseball on TV episode. Uh, but first, uh, let's talk about Nelly. Thanks to him for our intro song. Garth Brooks is uh, is playing in Champaign this weekend, four shows in, in three days. and uh, He's packing the place. Yeah, uh, I feel Traffic all around town along with the rain has made uh, driving pretty difficult which traffic usually isn't bad at all in champagne but uh, it has been the past couple days it's the first time garth has been here since 1997 and so yeah he's he's selling out like four shows 17000 uh, a piece so a lot of people coming to see garth apparently uh, garth live is like a pretty fun deal like even if you don't love his music hmm. it's like worth going so Garth, uh, with him being in town, I thought we'd do a, uh, a Nelly kind of crossover. In September of uh, 2004, he released an uh, album called Suit, and on that uh, album he had a song called Over and Over featuring Tim McGraw. Uh, and so we'll play a clip from that here, but first I uh, wanted to read the Wikipedia recap of the music video. It says uh, about the music video, it starts with Nelly and Tim both waking up at 5.30 a.m., taking showers and leaving their houses. The settings feature similar scenes of fans at gas stations and visits to the airport. In the end, they both depart on separate but, but comparable private jets. Fascinating. All right, here is a clip from Over and Over. over
1: not I, I, yeah. I can't shake it, long. I not wait to see you. Want to see if you still got that
0: Okay, so to baseball. Uh first up uh, our Eric Thames update. Had another great week. Uh had three homers uh going into Saturday's games uh in the past week. It's up to eleven for the year. He is tied for the uh league league with um Ryan Zimmerman. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Aaron Judge is second with 10. Mm -hmm. So three unexpected guys. It got me thinking uh, the home run derby, if those guys participate, is going to be fascinating. And with Judge, Zimmerman, and Thames, none of those guys would have, maybe Judge, would have been predicted at the beginning of the year. Uh, He also walked six times this past week, and his on base percentage is up to 484. And uh, because of his hot start, a lot of people have suspected that he is using uh, PEDs. Uh, we talked about that with the Cubs last week. And he uh, he got tested again twice this past week. Uh, and he had a great quote after he got tested. Uh, I think Tuesday night he said, If people keep thinking I'm on stuff, I'll be here every day. I have a lot of blood and urine. Uh, and then he got tested again on Friday night. So it's the third time in 10 days. And uh, as we'll talk about later with the Pittsburgh drug trial, that uh, that's something that kind of came out of uh, steroids and the drug trials is the, these like random uh drug tests that um even if there's uh, like cause you can you can have a guy mm-hmm. do drug tests so it's not completely random yeah uh i feel like with you know thame being tested twice this week and arietta came out last week and said he was tested like over 10 times in the last year the randomized nature of drug well t- it's not randomized i think that's a misconception that if there's co- like cause you can have a guy tested. Like if a guy comes out of nowhere, MLB has the right to test a guy. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. There's, I mean, cause there's no way it would be random if he was getting tested three times in 10 days. So it's completely subjective. I don't know all the, like the legal stuff, but yeah, there's something to look into in the future. Yeah. Uh, Another kind of hot button thing, Red Sox reliever, Matt Barnes was uh, suspended for four games for uh, trying to hit Manny Machado last Sunday, threw it above Machado's head, hit the bat, so it was a foul ball, but he was still ejected and then suspended four games. Uh, the Red Sox were up 6 nothing in the bottom of the eighth, and so it was kind of a clear, uh, intentional pitch by Barnes, and um, a lot of people kind of used it as a as a sounding board to talk about how kind of arcane the unwritten rules of baseball mm-hmm. are. What was, it, what was your take on all of it? I think what killed a lot of the maybe drama after the fact was that video, fascinating video, of Pedroya kind of shouting across the way to Machado, essentially saying, like, that wasn't me. You know, it wasn't me. You know, that's all on Barnes. And I think that uh, sort of just isolated Barnes as being an idiot and a lot of the drama between the two teams and between Pedroya and Machado was nullified after that. I, but it was still talked about a ton. Right, but I I don't think, you think it was talked about in the light, like baseball is a huge problem and this needs to be fixed. And... Maybe not to the extent it would have been, but yeah, I feel like it was, I mean, it was like a, a, the main baseball storyline for a few days there. Hmm. It is interesting. So like when there's the, the bad slide at second base, I wonder like normally is there a conversation between the, the, the victim and like the pitching staff or like, it seems like a lot of that is unwritten or just unsaid, which leaves, like, a rookie relief pitcher or a guy that's kind of new. He's not He's not a rookie. He's been in the league for a few years. Which is, I think it leaves a pitcher kind of in limbo, right? Like, is it on him to retaliate? Or, like, are there any conversations that actually happen? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think it's a formal thing. But, yeah, I'm sure it's a thing where, like, Barnes might talk to someone like um, Kimbrell in the bullpen, like a veteran that's been there a while, and, and kind of ask Hey, I'm going into this blowout game. Should you know? Should I hit him? Mm-hmm. And uh, I would guess that they told him, you know, not to. But Barnes kind of just took it upon himself. Yeah, because I was thinking Barnes could have thought he was doing the right thing, and then seeing Pedroia say that and kind of felt like an idiot. But oh yeah, definitely. Bad news that came in literally an hour before we started recording. Uh, Adam Eaton, my uh, best fantasy player, which is a killer. <laughs> And the nat- one of the Nationals' best players is out for the season, tore his ACL uh, Friday night, uh, running the first base. It was just a, a fluke injury. Reminds me um, of Jason Kendall in the late 90s. He rolled his ankle and was out for the season, too. Um, but, yeah, it's sad because Eaton is is one of my favorite players. Uh, I know he ripped some people the wrong way, but just a really exciting player and had been performing incredibly well for the Nationals, had a 393 on on-base percentage, um, was their leadoff hitter, um, like I said, one of their best players. So that definitely hurts the likelihood that they'll make the World Series, in my opinion. Really? Yeah. I, so you say he's one of their best. He's their fourth best right now. Shows how deep they are. Yeah. Zimmerman, Harper, and Murphy are uh, all three on fire. Combined, those three have 24 homers and 77 RBIs. Did you see Harper, Harper said their lineup was, uh, stupid on Friday night. I did not see that. No. Yeah. You thought that was funny. I thought That was funny. Uh, it's the first trio of teammates with, uh, 25 RBIs apiece, uh, in April ever. So a historic, uh, run from those three guys. Uh, the nationals are first in batting average on base and slugging in all of baseball as a team. And so, yeah, certainly that will get hurt with, uh, Eaton out, but, um. Those three guys, I think, will be enough to carry them. They'd still be, like I think, my, my favorite right now to make the World Series. Them and the Dodgers with mm-hmm. their pitching. The Cubs have kind of fallen off because their pitching is pretty questionable so far. Uh, another dominant team is the Yankees. So the Nationals are differential is 30. Yeah, the, the Yankees have the best run differential in baseball at plus 46. They have a, essentially the best pitching staff outside maybe the White Sox in all of baseball. Just a 1.13 whip, which is first in baseball. Uh, 55 walks through 21 games, which is uh, the best in baseball. And offensively, they're fourth in on-base percentage. And uh, Aaron Judge kind of leads the way with uh, 10 home runs. So they're a pretty fun team, pretty young team. They seem to be a, a strong AL East contender. Yeah, on the opposite end of the American League, uh, the Royals are really, really bad. 7-17, uh, and 17 tied with the Blue Jays for the worst record in the American League. Um, but their offense, uh, I don't know if you've looked at any of the numbers, is atrocious. They're last in the American League in runs, but it's by a pretty considerable amount. Um, the next best team is the the Blue Jays, who have scored 82 runs. The Royals have scored 58. So you're talking about a 24-run gap. And the, the Yankees have scored, I think, 120. So more than doubled the Royals' output. And just a couple guys that I think... You know are fascinatingly bad. Uh, Alcides Escobar, their shortstop, eighty-two plate appearances, has a point one nine seven on base percentage. Hmm. Brandon Moss, sixty-four plate appearances, and has struck out almost forty percent of the time. Hmm. K rate of thirty-eight uh, percent. So they've been terrible, and I think you could see them uh, trade guys like Lorenzo Cain, you know, around the deadline or even earlier. Yeah, I think Cain could be an interesting replacement for uh, Eaton in uh, DC. Mm-hmm. I agree. Something I probably want to start doing every week is a Harper versus Trout battle. They're both playing great right now. I think the two biggest superstars in baseball. Uh, Trout uh, leads all of baseball in wins above replacement, uh, two point one, according to Baseball Reference, and uh, Harper is uh, in the top five. He has a one point eight wins above replacement so far this year. Harper's uh, slash line though was ridiculous, stupid. You might say, uh, 405 average, 519 on base percentage, and a 786 slugging. Trout uh, a little bit worse in all three, but 355, 435, and 710. In and this past Friday, April 28th was the anniversary of Harper's debut in baseball and uh, Trout's call up. His kind of reemergence. He was bad with the uh, Angels in September of 2011, but then he got called up again in 2012. Hit leadoff. Uh, that whole season, uh, from the first uh, first game, um, and of course he had a great season. Harper was pretty good, but um, you know not nearly as good as Trout. Harper hit seventh his first game. He uh, hit two spots behind uh, center fielder Rick Ankiel. Wow. Uh, attendance updates. So two weeks ago we were up four percent, and then last week it was up one point seven percent. This week uh, it's down to up point nine percent. So it Keeps dropping. Wait, you kind of predicted that because, like you said, even a you know a point five percent increase is huge when you're talking about millions and millions of people. Yeah, but I think it will keep dropping. Uh, this is you think it's going to get more and more depressing? Uh, well, it's not like depressing so far. I mean, they're still up from last year, but I think it'll keep you know dropping back to zero. I, I had hopes that it was like kind of a substantial increase, but it doesn't seem that. You way. have an update on the Orioles? I do. Yeah, so they are up uh still over 8,000 fans per game. Wow. But again, they've played like 10 home games, so. That away Baltimore. Mhm. Uh also in the biggest increases, the top 5, the Phillies, Indians, Braves, and Nationals, and the biggest decreases are the Royals, Mets, Dodgers, Pirates, and Athletics. Uh lastly for me, uh David Ross update. Uh he is moving on to the next round in Dancing with the Stars uh he took his shirt off again in last week's routine uh he did a uh, a boy band themed dance so uh just saying what night is dancing with the stars i have no idea <laughs> yeah cuz once again i mean you're sharing this news uh as a way to kind of poke fun at oh no i'm sharing it so people think more negatively of david ross right yeah you're not saying you're not it's not like a sincere update about his life uh, sure. You're pointing out the ridiculousness of... It's true. But I did not know that until you shared it. So you are, you actually are updating it. But you think up. less of him now, right? I have the same opinion of him because of things that you've shared in the past. I think it's working better with other people. Okay, so let's move on to Baseball on TV. Uh, this was the final week of our Seinfeld month, the whole month of April. And now one day into May, we're going to do... Um, or we did Seinfeld. This week's episode was uh, season three, episode 17, The Boyfriend. It's a, an extended episode. So some online publications might have it as episode 17 and 18, but officially on Hulu, it's just episode 17 of season three. Uh it came out in 1992. And this is the episode that Keith Hernandez guest stars in as himself. Uh, so Hernandez, who will have a tie-in later with the Pittsburgh mm-hmm. drug trials, uh, he was addicted to cocaine in the 80s, but apparently by the 90s he was off of that. He retired after the 1990 season, uh, so this was just two years after that. Hernandez is known uh, in the acting world for this and uh, one other uh, notable ongoing thing that he did. You- hmm. Ongoing? Yes. Uh, the commercial, yes, Uh, the Jesper Man, yeah, 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 with Walt Frazier. Hi, I'm Keith Hernandez, and I'm Walt Clive Frazier. What a marvelous night for the action! Let's go to the play by play. Oh, there's Mr. Graybeard approaching Miss Hottie. Oh, no, rejected Clyde. That's gotta hurt, yeah, no play
1: for Mr. Gray. Yep,
0: uh, his career is interesting, he was the first baseman. Uh, was considered a very good defensive first baseman. Won eleven gold gloves in his career, which he mentions to right. Elaine in the 11, episode. Eleven, eleven straight gold gloves. Yeah, I was going to fact check that. I, I mean, I assume he wouldn't lie on the episode, but um, yeah, eleven gold gloves. He had uh, twenty one hundred hits, but didn't hit for much power. Just had uh, like a hundred and fifty ish home runs mm-hmm. in his career. Uh, he did win one MVP, nineteen seventy nine, with the Cardinals. Uh, In the early 80s, he was traded to the Mets and uh, that's kind of where he became like a household name, Mm -hmm. even though he had kind of his best years with the Cardinals. Uh, I think he's a color analyst for the Mets TV crew. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds right. In my mind, him and Mark Grace have always been like very similar players. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah, he had 187 career home runs. Career on base, though, of 384. Uh, So, yeah, I think stats, uh, sabermetrics would look more favorably on him today. So, Keith Hernandez meets Jerry and George at the gym early on in the episode and um, befriends Jerry, likes Jerry's comedy routine. Jerry becomes uh, pretty good friends with Keith Hernandez. Uh, Then Elaine becomes uh, connected to Keith. Keith takes Elaine on a couple dates. Jerry uh, hangs out with him as a friend a couple times, and it's kind of like this competing friendship, relationship with with uh, Elaine and Jerry towards Keith Hernandez. But then it uh, ends up not working out because of two different reasons. For Elaine, Keith Hernandez smokes, so that's a kind of a deal breaker, which I thought was interesting with the cocaine mm-hmm. thing. Like People watching that in the 90s would have known about Keith Hernandez's cocaine right. addiction because it was such a big uh, national story. Uh, so Elaine breaks that off, and then uh, Keith Hernandez asks Jerry to uh, help him move and then jerry uh, initially says yes but then backs out because you know they just weren't good enough friends to to be on that level yet Mm -hmm. would you say it's the best of the ones we've seen so far definitely yeah i think it's ranked the best Mm -hmm. seinfeld i feel like is different than a lot of shows the earlier seasons seem like the earliest season seems to be oh i disagree the the first couple seasons are terrible really yeah i'd say season three through like the rest is good but yeah if you watch seasons one and two you will not think they're funny Hmm. in my opinion. The first few episodes came from like seven and eight. And I felt like this one, there was a distinct difference. Hmm. This was of the ones we watched. This was kind of the only like baseball themed, like there's little baseball storylines in other episodes. I mean, George works for the Yankees. So it's kind of a common theme throughout the show, but this is like the one where Keith is like the main story because also included in the episode was Newman and Kramer have this story. Uh, where they thought Keith Hernandez spit on them after a game. Turns out not to be true. Yeah, so it's like a uh, storyline throughout the episode with kind of all the characters involved. All right, we will end Seinfeld month with uh, kind of a montage from that episode. Uh, In May, we're going to switch gears, do another themed month. Uh, I haven't told you this, Paul. I am intrigued. Uh, So we're going to do Saturday Night Live, an SNL month. So uh, baseball hosts and baseball skits. Uh, from Saturday Night Live hmm. uh, Bob Eucher was a host on uh, or of Saturday Night Live way back in the day and so I think that'll be the first episode next week I'm, I'm excited Alright, well here's that Seinfeld clip and then we'll do Out of the Box after that
2: hey, Should we say something to him? Oh yeah, I'm sure he loves to hear from fans in the locker room Why, well, he could say hello to me, I wouldn't mind He's Keith Hernandez You're Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> so what are you comparing yourself to Keith Hernandez the guy's a baseball player Jerry baseball I know what he is I recognized him you didn't even notice Well, you're making some wise cracks in a nightclub
1: <laughs> <laughs> the guy was in game six two runs down two outs facing elimination
0: excuse me I don't want to disturb you I'm Keith Hernandez and I just want to tell you what a big fan I am I love your comedy <laughs>
3: Really? Oh yeah, I've always wanted to do what you do. Do what I do? You're one of my favorite ball players of all time.
0: <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> I love that bit about Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> really?
2: Thank you.
1: <laughs> you
2: know, Keith, what I've always wondered is if, with all these ball clubs flying around all season, wouldn't you think there'd be a plane crash? you perform anywhere in New York right now? Yeah, I perform at this club on the east side. You should come in. Yeah, but, but think about it. 26 teams, 162 games a season. You would think eventually an entire team would just get wiped out.
3: You know, I live on the east side. i uh, tell you what. I'll give you my number and uh, just give me a call. Tell me whenever you want to go.
2: Or maybe just to get together for a cup of coffee.
3: Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. Who's this, Chuck? Hate him! I despise him. <laughs> why? I'll tell you why. Now let me tell it. Now you can't tell it. You him. always tell it. All right, tell it. I let it. Just tell it. <laughs> June Fourteenth, nineteen
2: eighty-seven. Mets. Phillies. were are enjoying a beautiful afternoon in the right field stands when a crucial Hernandez error opens the door to a five-run Phillies ninth, cost the Mets the game.
3: Our day was ruined. There was a lot of people, you know, they're waiting by the players' parking lot. Now, we're coming down the ramp. Newman was in front of me. Hernandez was coming toward us. As he passes us, Newman turns and says, Nice game, pretty boy. (laughs) Hernandez continued
2: past us up the ramp. Then, a second later, something happened that changed us in a very deep and profound way from that day forward. What was it
3: wasn't. He spit on us. <laughs> and I screamed out, I'm it!
0: <laughs> Go ahead. Kiss her. I'm a baseball player, damn it.
3: What's he waiting for? He thought he was a cool guy.
0: <laughs> Come on, I won the MVP in 79. I can do whatever I want to. <sighs> oh,
1: this is getting awkward.
0: Well,
2: good night.
1: Good night) Who does this guy think
0: he is? I'm Keith Hernandez. For out of the box this week, I'm going to talk about ESPN's Disastrous Week. Mm-hmm. The specific article I want to discuss is by Mike Oz of Yahoo Sports. The title is what ESPN's layoffs can tell us about the future of watching baseball. Uh, first Pete, did you have any, you have any hot takes about ESPN this week? Yeah. I mean, a lot of good writers got fired. I feel like such a sad week. Kind of felt like Grantland all over again. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe even worse than Grantland. Um, I read like, I read this group more than I think I read Grantland. Yeah. Uh, it seemed like their main cuts were to like online reporters writers mm-hmm. uh, they didn't cut too many like on-air personalities right except the one i guess the ones i was most upset about jason stark uh just because he's you know a good baseball writer and then um danny cannell uh they fired i'm not he's like pretty good but um i was a big fan of ryan rusillo and because canal got fired their their show that they do which is syndicated in champagne um hmm. will be no more so is rusillo He's still on the payroll, but just in a reduced role. Yeah. So they're like re- cutting back his role a lot. So it yeah. really bummed me out because I liked, um, I liked Russillo and whoever he was paired with, he used to be the Impel, was Canal before he was fired. So yeah. those are the two I was most upset by. But I mean like Mark Stein, Chad Ford, uh, Annie Katz. Yeah. Like some guys that have been there like a decade. Yeah. Yeah. I guess for those that have sort of been living under a sports rock this week, ESPN laid off uh, upwards of a hundred employees. A lot of the people, Peter, are mentioning prominent names. People who have been there for a while. Um, And baseball has actually hit, as a sport, uh, the hardest probably. Uh, hockey. Oh, yeah. H- hockey is like, their coverage is like no more, essentially. Mm-hmm. Barry Melrose is it. Um, But baseball, I guess, next to hockey, hit the hardest. Uh, among the cuts, you know, Peter mentioned Jason Stark. Jim Capel is another reporter uh, for an office insider, Jim Bowden. <laughs> Is uh, Bowden or Jim Bowden? Sorry, uh, he was let go. Also, ESPN.com writers Doug Padilla and Mark Saxon, and then um, on analysts Doug Glanville, Raul Baez, and Dallas Braden. Well, and they, they baseball tonight, right? And like then, in history. addition to that, with letting letting go of those guys it was kind of a signal that, that baseball tonight is no more, and they came out and announced that shortly after they're saying that that baseball tonight is just being tweaked. They're moving it to a, more of a Sunday night baseball preview show. It's also going to be like before the home run being be in the all-star game. Um, and, you know, in the postseason. Um, so uh, Oz sort of takes a step back and asks, you know, what, what does all of this tell us about modern day viewing habits for baseball fans? And his argument is that essentially the days of baseball highlights on TV are over that there's just not a big audience for that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I tend to agree with him. The example he gave was Chris Coughlin's slide earlier this week, which we haven't talked about where, or jump, I should say, who jumps over Yadier Molina at home plate. And it used to be 10 years ago. You would catch that on baseball tonight. You would tune in and see that. But now like within minutes, everyone on their phones or on their computers is talking about it. It's going viral. Um, on social media but how is that different than other sports uh, that's a good question uh tnt's show is probably the most popular like after game show but that's more personality driven not so much about the highlight so yeah i mean it's a good good point uh oz talks about how a lot of baseball fans modern day baseball fans won't don't have any issue with that like they're um, losing baseball tonight isn't that big of a deal because they're so connected to their phone and on social yeah, media. That's... I haven't watched it like in years, but since there, high school probably, but there are, um, maybe some older fans because of baseball's demographics that might still gravitate towards that. I don't know. It's a good question. Like you, you know, I haven't watched baseball tonight in a long time. Um, you know, I, it's not like I have a one-stop shop for highlights. I think I get it on, you know, Twitter and on like MLB.com in the morning. Um, but certainly don't watch Baseball Tonight anymore. I will say MLB Network, I think, is growing in prominence. Mm-hmm. Um, ESPN actually, I don't know how, how this works, but they contracted with MLB Network to get their daytime show, Intentional Talk. Um, that That's going to air on ESPN now. So I think MLB Network is growing in prominence, but again, that's more of a personality-driven show with interviews with players and that sort of thing and less about the highlight. Yeah, I mean, I think the explanation is like ESPN was trying to like do high, like baseball highlights kind of halfway, try to like, you know, draw on the audience. But baseball tonight was like only a couple of days a week and sports center might give them, you know, 10 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. But, uh, fans that really enjoy those highlights and would watch that are just going to watch MLB network. Yeah. So, so I think, uh, essentially ESPN is becoming like a NFL and then an M- NBA to a certain extent, like, network and then with live baseball too but i'm curious what like what's your baseball highlight viewing habit <laughs> well i'm writing like a blog post a day so most nights are just on twitter writing a blog post about something and then i might have like a game on the radio on hmm. my on my phone you're just monitoring twitter like what's being put yeah out like you know interesting highlights or as the season progresses and there's more like storylines and like drama in game i'll probably watch mm-hmm. watch more games but um do you have like like a do that now uh first stop shop in the morning that you go to for i don't twitter is like my main baseball i've like curated my uh people i follow to kind of produce the best like baseball uh highlights and storylines and stuff yeah certainly a, a sad week but i think it's more just a reflection of you know where the audience is going definitely all right uh from out of the box this week uh the article that i wrote this past week that was my favorite was about Maddox's. Uh, It was great. That was my favorite of yours this week. Thank you. You knew what a Maddox was before. I did. Yeah. I think you've talked about about it before in the podcast. it's it's like a pretty well-known stat now. Like MLB, uh, they reference it on their social media. So it's kind of like an official thing. Uh, The history of it, uh, Jason Lucart, who was just like a random baseball blogger, he Mm -hmm. invented it in 2012. He really liked Greg Maddox, the pitcher and uh maddox was known for dominating teams by not throwing very many pitches and so he created a stat the pitcher uh to get a maddox has to throw a complete game shutout and throw uh, 99 pitches or lower Uh, masahiro tanaka from the yankees threw the first one of 2017 on thursday night against the red sox and that prompted me to write the post it was the 301st regular season maddox uh and the stat has only been around since 1988 or it can only go back that far because before 1988, the like uh, pitch counts aren't, aren't that reliable. So stats only go back to the late 80s. So this was the 301st uh, Maddox that we know of. Anyway, uh, the career Maddox leaderboard. Of course, Greg Maddox is first with 13. Uh, and then other people on that list, Zane Smith, who played in the 80s and early 90s, Bob Tewksbury. Again, '80s and '90s: Tom Glavin, Roy Holiday, Bartolo Colon, uh, Cubs pitch- pitching coach Chris Bazzio mm-hmm. was on that list. Uh, Henderson Alvarez, uh, James Shields, and Jamie Moyer uh, round out that list. But Maddox has thirteen. Uh, Zane Smith is second with seven, so he's got a pretty strong lead on that. My favorite part about that piece was just you reciting some of Maddox's uh, greatest games. I think there was one that was. Like sub-80 pitches, I like 70-some pitches, 67 of them were strikes. That wasn't a Maddox because it wasn't a shutout. The Cubs scored one Right, run. yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, Ma- I think Maddox is one of my favorite pitchers of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Cubs have had 12 in their history, and the White Sox have had 8. The most recent one for the Cubs was Carlos Zambrano in 2009, uh, and the White Sox uh, had one in 2015. Samarja. Yep, Jeff Samarja, and then uh, Chris Sale in 2013. All right, but my actual article this week uh, comes from Sports Illustrated, Jay Jaffe, and the title is, uh, Cubs start strong as reigning champs, but is there ever a championship hangover effect? Uh, So no team has repeated as uh, World Series champs since the 1999 Yankees, who won it again in 2000. In that span, uh, since 2000, only two champs have made it back to the World Series. And that was the 2001 Yankees in the 2008 Phillies, uh, seven of the 16 teams, uh, since the 2000 Yankees that, that won the world series have made the playoffs. So uh, a little under half of, uh, world series champs have made the playoffs the next year. And there's kind of two theories for why there are championship hangovers in baseball. Uh, the first is that teams don't start well, like they're distracted they're getting their championship rings. Their fans like are really into it. Like the Cubs this year is kind of like a, mm-hmm. a chaotic first few weeks. So that's one theory. They don't start well, and then they just kind of snowball from there. The other theory is that teams don't finish well with all the innings uh, and games that were logged the previous year. They just they wear down early in the in the season, and they don't finish well in September. So Jaffe looked at uh, both these theories and just kind of tried to hash out whether there's actually any evidence to this. Uh, So if we're not starting out well, there isn't uh, a whole lot of evidence that this is a true reality. So um, for championship teams from 2000 to 2015, they had a 578 winning percentage the year that they won on average. And then the following year, the first 20 games of their season on average, they had a 569 winning percentage. So not as good, but um, still on pace for 92 wins. So generally start out pretty good the next year. Winning uh, percentage for the first 40 games the next year is 558, so not as good as the first 20 games. But again, still on pace to make the playoffs most years. The only one that was below 500 in the first 40 games was the 2007 Cardinals coming off the 2006 World Series win. So not a lot of evidence for that theory. So you can cross that one off. Uh, and the Cubs this year started out pretty good. They were 12-10 mm-hmm. and 10 th- through their first 22 games. Again, not great, but like it's not going to hurt you. Uh, right. def- definitely in position to make the playoffs. Uh, for not finishing well, though, there is some evidence of this. So, like I said, 578 winning percentage for championship teams in the year that they win the World Series. The next year, the last 40 games of the season, they had a 506 winning percentage. Hmm. And only three of the six won more than 22 of their last 40 games. So, most were 500 or below. And then uh, in their final 20 games, if you isolate it even more, they had a 497 winning percentage, so under 500. Hmm. And the 2006 White Sox are a good example of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they finished with over 90 wins that year coming off the, the 05 championship, but they went 8-12 and to finish the year and right. ended up missing the playoffs. I wonder if you zero in on that, is it more like pitching or uh, hitters. Or yeah, just... I mean, Jaffe mentioned that, um, like that year, that Contreras and Burley and Jenks all broke down mm-hmm. and had real bad September's. So, championship teams in general, again, five seventy eight winning percentage the year they win, the next year winning percentage of five thirty five. So, a drop of uh, about forty points, um, and forty three percent of teams made the playoffs the next year. Compare that though with just playoff teams in general in that span. So, uh, of all playoff teams in the in the last 16 years, winning percentage on average the year they made the playoffs is 5.80, and then the next year for that for those teams uh, it drops to 5.48. So a drop of about 32 points. So, uh, you know, there's just some normal drop like right. randomness, but it's it's much bigger for championship teams. And then uh, 50% of the playoff teams make the playoffs the next year. Um, So 50% of last year's playoff teams will probably make the playoffs this year Hmm. on average. So that's, again, higher than the 43% of championship teams that make it. Yeah, that's interesting. So not like a real strong hangover evidence, uh, but there is a slight uh, effect, especially with how teams finish the year. Definitely something to monitor. What's interesting with the Cubs is I feel like um, you're already starting to see some of that early in the season. Like Arrieta has looked pretty bad. Yeah, their starting pitching has been real weak. Um, so it's not even like you have to wait until the end of the season for those guys to break down. Mm-hmm. They're already looking like that. It is helpful. They added uh, Wade Davis. So mm-hmm. he's kind of been like a spark. Yeah. It seems like, uh, Theo and Jed foresaw that maybe a little bit. They traded for the dude from Colorado in the off season. Um, Eddie Butler, who's, who's pitched you, you really, mentioned him last week. Yeah. Who's pitching really <laughs> well in the minors. And of course they have, uh, their dark horse, uh, Mike Montgomery in the bullpen, yes, uh, who could help? They, yeah, they, they have not. some of the best depth in baseball in their starting rotation, in Maybe. my opinion. Yeah, I, I think it'll come down to them trading for like a young starting pitcher. Yeah, and they have that flexibility too. I mean, they like need to do that. Like Lackey's done after this year, Aretas, a free agent after this year, um, Anderson. Mm-hmm. But on that, one, that's when, part when, of the plan. Yeah, sure. But like at some point, they're gonna have to trade like Bias for a starter or do something. Like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that does it for out of the box. And next up, TWTW. When you can put some of those categories, you know, you got your OBPS and all that and the
3: VORPs. When they put in TWTW TW, and then interface those numbers with TWTW TW, under that category, then you might have something cooking. What, what, what
0: TW is? Yeah. What is that? That's the will to win. All right, as i mentioned last week uh for twtw we're using we got the order right this week I did get the order right we're using uh Russell carlton's uh late 2000s uh landmark study uh at baseball prospectus uh to try to determine how soon uh is too soon to start trusting an individual's performance um and last week we looked at hitters and you know you can go back and listen to it if you want all the details but essentially for for the big stuff like on base percentage, slugging percentage, um, you really have to wait until the 500 plate appearance mark for that to be a big enough sample size to really trust it. But you know there are some you know some metrics you can look at early in the season. We talked about things like contact rate, strikeout rate, walk rate that you can you can start to trust a bit earlier. Um, but this week we're going to look at pitchers. Uh, there's kind of two landmarks in the season. The first is 150 batters faced, um, and the second is 500 batters faced. So we'll, we, we can start with 150 batters faced. And for some context there, Corey Kluber is the league leader in batters faced right now, and he's at 141. Hmm. So we're right at the, you know, the point in the next week or so of, of getting to that for for guys that have started six or seven games. Um, but the, the stats that you can start to trust at 150 batters faced are strikeout rate, Grounder rate, line drive rate, fly ball rate, and uh, ground balls per fly ball. You know, a, a few guys to keep your eye on as as we think about this um, 150 batters faced. The league leader in strikeout rate right now is Danny Salazar, uh, starting pitcher for the Indians. He's currently striking out 14.3 guys per nine innings, which is pretty phenomenal. Uh, that's up from 10.6 last year. Um, so again, you can you can start to to buy into that a little bit. A couple other guys, Chris Sale, he's up to 12.42 this year. It's up over three from last year at 9.3. Um, again, you can start to trust that, buy into that. Zach Granke is at 9.1, up from 7.6 last year, so that's a positive trend. On the negative side, Marcus Stroman is down to 5.59 uh, strikeouts per nine innings. Uh, last year he was at 7.3. So again, you can start to look at some of these and, and trust them a bit. For the 500 batter's face mark, uh, the, the stats that you can trust are strikeouts per walk, pop-up rate, and walk rate. So It's about the all-star break for starting pitchers. Yeah, it's around the 20, um, 20 start number for starting pitchers, obviously, Yeah, which would be about the all-star when, break. When do wins stabilize? <laughs> Pitch, Never. Pitcher, pitcher wins. Never. Saves, holds? No. Nope. So maybe a helpful way to think about this is at 150, which is you know six or seven starts, strikeouts are a kind of a thing you can buy into but you really have to wait until like the 20 start uh, number to to buy into anything to do with walks so if you guys to watch for for walks this year jose quintana he's up to 4.3 he's at a rough start this year 4.3 walks per nine innings but you're saying we should be skeptical of that right um but if you guys to to monitor and then justin verlander is also higher than normal he's at four walks per nine innings which is up from 2.3 last year um, and then, of course, Noah Syndergaard hasn't walked anyone. So he's at zero walks per nine innings, which would uh, obviously be um, down from last year. So, yeah. He, he's kind of hurt, too. Right. Yeah, helpful research from Russell Carlton. We'll link to the the study in our um, in podcast notes page. But, um, yeah, some, some really helpful stuff for fantasy players and just fans in general. Absolutely. Yeah, that was really helpful. All right. Well, that was uh, TWTW next step sounds of the game.
3: One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting, the outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into the deep left center field. Butner goes back to the fence. It is gone. Country in the world, a black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol, and it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry
0: Aaron. Thanks to Vince Scully for that intro. Uh, that was, of course, i'm calling Hank Aaron's 715th home run, topping Babe Ruth's record of 714 from April of 1974. Uh, just a, a great uh, great call, great moment in baseball history. All right, this week uh, we are looking at the ALCS Game 7, specifically the bottom of the ele- uh, 11th inning of Game 7 when Aaron Boone hits his uh, home run off Tim Wakefield. And a couple different tie-ins to the podcast. Uh, first, um, my interview with Bill Ballew, uh later In the episode, uh, talk about the Red Sox, so that got me thinking about uh, the Red Sox, and then also, uh, with the Yankees being good, it had me thinking about a a Red Sox-Yankees playoff series, potentially, which would be a lot of fun. Also, uh, another tie-in, there's an upcoming 30 for 30 on the radio show that we're going to listen to, Uh, Mike and the Mad Dog, Hmm. Mike Francesca and uh, Christopher Russo, Mad Dog Christopher Russo. It's a New York radio show uh, that used to exist. Now they've kind of split ways, and uh, Mad Dog is actually on MLB Network. He's mm-hmm. kind of an annoying yeller. Uh, and Francesca still has a, has a show that's pretty entertaining when someone like links to a clip because it's him being like an idiot. Uh, last year he said Michael Conforto would never, ever hit leadoff for the Mets because he's mm-hmm. not a leadoff hitter. And uh, Conforto uh, led off this year, and there's like a clip of him reading off the lineup for a Mets game. Anyway, there's a 30-for-30 30 30 coming out about that show. It was very popular in the 2000s, and uh, uh, the clip we're going to listen to is uh, Aaron Boone's home run and then the start of that show th- the day after. Looking at Game 7 a little bit, the Red Sox were up 5 to nothing On the Yankees in Yankee Stadium, had Pedro Martinez on the mound, who was their best pitcher. The Yankees come back, chip away at it, and eventually tie it in the 8th inning and then uh, win it in the bottom of the 11th. Uh, The first pitch of the bottom of the 11th, Uh, again, Aaron Boone hit it with uh, Tim Wakefield pitching. So um, here is Mike and the Mad Dog.
3: Here's Aaron Boone to lead off. His first at-bat of the game. There's a fly ball. Keep to left. It's on its way. There it goes. And the Yankees are going to the World Series. UFAN New York
1: Mike get the man
3: Radio program. We've got you with us on this Friday here, the 17th day of October, the year 2003. As we talk about the world of sports, John Smoke, of course, today, and Chris Collin. Yankee fans, once again, congratulations. I can't believe I'm saying it again. Good afternoon, Michael. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, dog. I'm Tired, but uh, I'm fine. I, I didn't even I think I'd, I thought you'd be doing a show alone today. I, I screamed so much during the I was a nutcase last night. I screamed so much during the game. You had I, that Yankee I had no hat words. going? You were wearing a go. I had my Yankee hat first time ever. I had these oh. fans. I was roll, You know, I had this little kid there who I, I gave his father the number today because I had this little kid sitting next. to Cutest little kid, look sitting across from me yesterday with a Yankee wool cap on. I don't know how old he was, but he's little. But he was there, and he was really bright. I mean, he was standing on his chair the whole game. He knew the teams. He was never asked for anything to eat or drink like the whole night. He watched every out of the game, and I was rubbing his head for luck, you know, starting in the seventh rubbed inning. It pretty good in that I, eighth inning. I did. I rubbed it every every pitch. So he was the cutest little kid. So uh, I was rubbing his head for luck. I had Julio from Bay Ridge. I, oh, I had gosh. to pull out all the stops last night. The hat, Julio from Bay Ridge, Julio. everybody. And in, in the seventh inning, I had Eddie... In the sixth inning, Eddie looked over to me, and Eddie came after the game. The only one from Losers Row came over to, to, to send us his, his good wishes. Good for Eddie. The rest of them departed. I, I did. But okay. Eddie, Eddie uh, said to me, you're running out of time. And See, I that's, said, not, that's where Eddie's I wrong. I said, Eddie. Don't thing, say that about the Yankees. All I said to him was, it's the Red Sox. Well, the Yankees—that's the way you want to look at it. But you know, it's even—it's you're right. It's both of them converging in the same place, and Doug, I was—it was dwindling down to a precious few. Sure was. And you know, it didn't look good. But you just—you just always feel, and that something's going to happen. Boy, I uh... I tell you, it is—it is hard to be a Red Sox fan, and on a day like this, because boy, it's almost like. Even the Red Sox fans in front of us, going and I told everyone the whole series, and you know this, the Red Sox owners and their f- families and friends were sitting in the two rows right in front of me, and they're very nice people. They were great people. They're gracious after they lost. They're great people. Wonderful people. I enjoyed them the whole series. Even when they were winning, they never... They never got nasty. N- no, they never got excited. They, well, they were clapping. Yeah, but, I mean, they always were like... Well, you never know. You you could tell. It was the inevitable. You know, they they just have this doom. They have this doom feeling almost that just comes over them. Same thing happens to the Cup fans. Both teams, dog, in the exact same spot. Eighth inning. Five outs. Three up. Five outs to go with their best pitchers on the mound, and both lost. Yeah, Mike, uh, that's, I know Gray Little is going to be a big team oh, here get to, I'm sure he's getting destroyed in but, Boston. But I, the, the first thing you've got to say is this. It's amazing to me. I don't even love the Red Sox, and I'm devastated today. So, And I'm not even a Red Sox fan. You so, thought the game was over then? No, 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 oh, no, 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 Mike. I've been there too. I was there with Kim. Are you kidding me? You... I think yesterday you no, thought. No, I, I didn't. Uh, I did not think that game was over. 4-0, first no and third. You seen it coming no. in you didn't think you were going to, no. that it was going to be a blowout? Absolutely not. we
0: Like I mentioned earlier, uh, this week's deep dive is the Pittsburgh Drug Trials. You can't tell by the intro music there. Um, It happened September of 1985. Mm -hmm. How did you want to uh, break this down, Paul? Maybe we can just talk about what actually happened and then add some commentary after the fact. Yeah, absolutely. So the drug trial was, was really just centered on one person initially. Curtis Strong, who was a drug dealer, and uh, this whole war on drugs was aimed more at dealers of drugs and not really users of drugs. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to bust these drug dealers in Pittsburgh, and a lot of the users of the cocaine that they were dealing were baseball players, and that's kind of how baseball got looped into it. So they busted this guy, Curtis Strong, and then six other dealers, Um, and there was no physical evidence. Cause a lot of it happened like years before. Mm -hmm. So there's no uh, physical like drug evidence that they had. They didn't confiscate anything. So player testimony was uh, integral to the case. Like they needed um, players to testify that these guys were the dealers. So to to do that, to get them to testify, they offered them immunity from prosecution Mm -hmm. uh, in exchange for their testimony. So uh, 11 players were eventually suspended because of testimony they gave, but they ended up uh, not being uh, charged with anything in a court of law because they were given this immunity in in these trials. Uh, So 11 players eventually were suspended by Commissioner Peter uh, Uberoth, uh, who is an interesting guy in general, but uh, none of them ended up serving the suspensions. They ended up uh, just paying a fine and doing community service. Uh, but the com- commissioner, Uberoth, uh, he oversaw Pete Rose's investigation, owner colluding, and uh, this drug scandal in his five years as commissioner. So uh, a tumultuous <laughs> few year run. That'd be like a Manfred if I think he's been on the job, what, three years now? Mm-hmm. Um, so he's had a pretty easy go with uh, yeah, stuff like this pa- make- pace of play and pitch clocks and those sorts of things. Stuff like this makes you realize that we actually have had a decent last like five years in baseball. I uh, think longer than that. Well, you had the steroids in the two thousands. Yeah, I feel like that just kind of became a a normal thing, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple couple of the juicy details that came out during the trial. Um, well, one we haven't talked about this yet, but the the pirates mascot was actually caught up in it. <laughs> the parrot. Right. He parrot. was a he was a drug dealer. <laughs> uh, Kevin Koch uh, or Koch. I'm not sure how you pronounce that last name. K O C H. Uh, but he was pretty sure he went by Coke during the (laughs) cocaine scandal. He was the one who um, uh, strong used to actually, you know, get the cocaine in the player's hands. Uh, But a few of the other details from players, Tim rains of the expos testified that he kept cocaine in his back pocket. Mm -hmm. And Uh, he only slid into bases head first so that he wouldn't break the vial of cocaine, which is just amazing. And there's, Some speculation, maybe we'll get into this in a second, that that hurt his Hall of Fame candidacy. He admitted to uh, snorting cocaine during games. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Uh, He's the only guy that testified that has made the Hall of Fame. Uh, Keith Hernandez, the 79 MVP, as you mentioned earlier, uh, described uh, waking up one morning with a bloody nose, the shakes, and his weight down 10 pounds. He estimated that 40% of players in the big leagues were using cocaine. Mm -hmm. He later... Uh, Backtracked that quite a bit. Said that it was like a false, but uh, in court entirely false. Yeah, under oath, (laughs) said forty percent. Yeah, he said he took so much cocaine in nineteen eighty that he couldn't remember anything from that year. Like couldn't remember anything from the whole season because he was on so much coke. Yeah, Uh, John Milner, another player that testified, told the court that he once bought two grams of coke um, from one of the defendants in a bathroom stall at Three Rivers Stadium. Before a game, Rod Scurry, who was a Yankees and Pirates reliever, testified that he left the stadium during a Pirates game to look for cocaine. Like left the stadium completely to go looking for uh, for the cocaine. Hmm. Uh, Milner, the guy I just mentioned, you know, who was buying it in the bathroom stall, he also testified that this doesn't get as much publicity. That when he was with the Mets, uh, he took liquid amphetamine that he got from uh, Willie Mays' locker. Yeah. Well, amphetamines were huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one ever talks about the fact that, you know, a guy like Willie Mace was. Well, I mean, cocaine is like so much more, like so much worse than amphetamines. Amphetamines just like give you kind of more. People argue that they're kind of like caffeine, like heightened yeah. caffeine. Whereas cocaine does not help you at all playing. It's like an addiction that mm-hmm. players have. Like players admit, like, I am a worse baseball player when I'm on coke sure. as, as opposed to amphetamines. Uh, Willie Stargell and Bill Madlock were also accused of supplying amphetamines. But this is this is the cocaine trials. This came out you're during. You're trying to loop. You're trying to loop other drugs just, into this. Just ball. sharing the testimony that was provided, so like Roger Goodell. So uh, out of these trials, seven drug dealers, including Curtis Strong, the the main person that the trial were cent- was centered around, were sentenced to prison, uh, and then. In February of 1986, 11 players, like I said, were suspended, but um, those suspensions were commuted in exchange for fines and community service. Uh, Some of the players agreed to pay 10% of their 86 salary towards drug programs, whereas I think others that had less kind of accusations, admitted less, had to give up 5% of their salary. Uh, So some of the notables that we've mentioned uh, were part of this. Keith Hernandez, uh, Dave Parker, Lonnie Smith, who had 98 career homers, and then Jeffrey Leonard had 144 career homers. Ten other players were named, but uh, not sus- suspended or otherwise punished. They were, however, subject to random drug testing for the duration of their playing careers. And some of those notables were Dusty Baker, Vita Blue, Gary Matthews, Tim Raines, Rod Scurry, and Alan Wiggins. Uh, an article that was written in 1986, a year after these trials, I thought kind of captured the national sentiment at the time. And so I'll just read from that. It comes from Associated Press. Uh, the article reads, It has been a year since the fall pennant races were sideswiped by baseball's biggest scandal since the 1919 Black Sox disgraced the sport, the Pittsburgh Cocaine Trials. It has been a year since some of baseball's biggest names were linked to drugs during the trial of a former Philadelphia Phillies clubhouse chef, a year since stars like Keith Hernandez and Dave Parker confessed inside a packed courtroom to having had cocaine problems. Though it took the deaths of Maryland basketball star Lynn Bias and the Cleveland Browns Don Rogers to underscore how deadly drugs can be, it was in Pittsburgh that the problem first caught the public's attention. And later on in the article, it reads, uh, baseball has been free of drug scandals this season, and Commissioner Ubroth has declared that, quote, baseball's drug problem is over. <laughs> I believe baseball is going to be the first sport to be free of drugs. The players have had enough of it. And Ubroth was big into drug testing at the time and thought that this would be a catalyst to actually see that happen, but of course it did not until about 20 years later. The Players Association just wouldn't... Uh, yeah wouldn't uh, budge on that what what a ridiculous assertion that baseball is gonna be the first drug free even if you have drug testing, yeah that you have drug testing assuming that that drugs exist you can never like, get to a yeah, point if where you your don't drug catch f- that's my big beef when like marte that news came out like it's catching people that means it's good right yeah if it didn't catch anyone like you have a problem yeah that's a great point uh so the aftermath of these trials uh just a few notes on some of the players. Uh, Keith Hernandez and Dave Parker uh, had great uh, seasons in 1986. Both finished in the top five in the uh, NL MVP voting. Uh, Hernandez won the World Series that year with the Mets. Mm-hmm. Beat the Red Sox on the famous ball that went through Buckner's legs in game six. Uh, Lonnie Smith, uh, he admitted to <laughs> buying a gun to attempt the murder of John Sherholtz. Wow. So, he was, uh, was the Royals GM at the time. and uh, I so feel like that deserves a deep dive of its own. Yeah. Smith couldn't find a job after these trials, and he was convinced that Scherholz was blackballing him with wow. other teams, making sure he didn't get a job. So, he bought a gun, was going to murder him, but then decided not to do that. My gosh. And then he went on to win Comeback Player of the Year in 1989. <laughs> uh, he was subject, though, to random drug testing the rest of his career. Uh, Rod Scurry... Was not suspended, but was implicated in all of this. He's the person that um, left the stadium to go get drugs in Pittsburgh. He actually died from a uh, cocaine overdose in 1992 at the age of 36. So it kind of shows the nasty side of uh, drug use. Obviously, there's a dark side to it. Uh, and then in 2012, uh, the Players Union finally agreed to random in-season drug testing for the first time. There had been like parts of that up until then, um, but I'm pretty sure like players knew when they were coming or like they mm-hmm. wouldn't be in-season, they'd be during the off-season, or they'd test for certain things, but not other things. But now it's full-blown, random, in-season, uh, off-season drug testing. And that happened in 2012. Um, yeah, so I guess those are sort of the facts. A couple pieces of opinion or commentary uh, i know we talked last week during our deep dive about the mets having the worst season record wise of all time or the second worst of all time i feel like this season for the pirates may just you know subjectively be the worst uh they only won 57 games so that's hmm. pretty terrible the, it's, the 85 season right uh they drew uh, let me look up the exact number here they drew drew terrible attendance-wise. tenants Um, average crowd was, uh, 9,000 and it's nuts because the late seventies was like the pirates, like we are family, right? Like teams. They won the world series, I think in 79. Yeah. They won the world series in 71 and 79, um, had, you know, just a great, uh, atmosphere and a kind of a great, uh, fan foundation that quickly dissolved though. So drew 9,000 fans, won 57 games. You know, this trial happened during the season, during September and so I think if you just uh, stop and think about your favorite team now <laughs> winning 57 games and then the whole month of September hearing your, you know, team's players testify about cocaine use, it just strikes mm-hmm. me as like the absolute worst PR nightmare. Yeah. So not a lot of these guys played for the Pirates though, like the main guys. They kind of had previous time in Pittsburgh, but a lot of them are just like when they visited Pittsburgh. Right. Like yeah. Hernandez never played for the Pirates. Uh, I guess Dave Parker did, but I I think it just speaks to sort of the um, uh, Pittsburgh, I guess Pittsburgh was at the center. So yeah, the nature of the clubhouse. If you're a Pittsburgh uh, resident, definitely like an awful time to be a sports fan. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is just the context in which this happened is really interesting to me. You mentioned the war on drugs. Uh, That was one of Ronald Reagan's kind of hallmarks. Um, A year later, he gave a really famous speech uh, Would for any history buffs out there. Encourage you to go listen to it. He uh, actually. What would a person Google to find that speech? It's a 1986 Ronald Reagan War on Drugs speech. Okay. Um, he actually has his wife Nancy Reagan alongside of him read like news reports of uh, crack babies, like and it's. I mean, it's some of the most gruesome, awkward presidential speeches of all time. And then Time Magazine entitled 1986 the Crack Year, in a, like a really famous. Uh, magazine um, edition so the this wasn't just a baseball thing but it was a kind of a Mm -hmm. u.s moment when did len bias die uh that's a good question i was thinking early 80s 86 okay yeah 19 june 19th 1986 so yeah it was like this is indicative of like a national Mm -hmm. story and national problem it's brought up a lot now because of race relations um One of Reagan's um, hallmarks was really coming down hard on a certain type of cocaine, crack cocaine. Um, That's like the liquid form uh, as opposed to like the powder. The powder is much more prominent in like white collar drug. Mm. So you think people with money more like, uh, you know, really wealthy businessmen, whereas crack cocaine is much more prominent in inner cities and it's much uh, cheaper. So there's, clearly a kind of a a race component to it as well uh yeah so if you're interested in this we'll link to a couple different things that we uh, used for research there is a 30 for 30 short on this that i encourage you to to go watch and then um there is a hbo real sports segment on uh on a couple of the, the drug dealers that were busted so we'll link to that as well well that does it for a deep dive uh, so am going to interview Bill blue here in a second. Uh, before we do that though, I wanted to, to give another interview. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, I helped coach our nephew Grady's, uh, little league team this past week. And so I went to get an inter- interview with, uh, Grady, uh, his take on my coaching versus, uh, his dad, our brother, John's coaching. So I interviewed him after the last practice on Thursday that I was at. And then, uh, after that interview with an actual, uh, uh, a youth baseball player, we will talk to Bill Ballew, who is someone that wrote about youth baseball. And uh, we also asked him about the Red Sox season so far. Uh, so here is Grady, and then after that is Mr. Bill Ballew. Grady, how was your first week of practice with Coach Peter?
1: It was good.
0: What was your favorite part? This week? Of Coach Peter being <laughs> you know, at practice.
1: Uh, I don't know.
0: Do you call him Coach Peter or Uncle Peter?
1: I don't know. What? Um, we call him, um uh the Coach P- Pete. Yeah. The no. Pete. Coach Pete? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Grady, what uh, who are some of your favorite kids on the team?
1: Um Isaac, Titus, Henry, William.
0: Hey, William. I think that's it. That's it. What about Nate?
1: Oh, yeah, I forgot
0: about him. <laughs> He's sometimes hard to play with, isn't he?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. What position do you want to play? Uh,
1: four. Uh, so forth. Um I wanna be
0: Shortstop, right? Center field. Center field now. Hmm. Uh yeah. alright, last question. Uh who do you like more? Coach Daddy or Coach Uncle Peter?
1: Coach Don. What?
0: <laughs> I Hello. like Coach Pete. Thank you, Macy. You no. Know, Max. Maddox. Maddox will be the deciding vote. Do you like Coach? John or Coach Uncle Peter Moore? Coach Uncle Peter?
2: No. <laughs> That's what he said.
0: Two to one. I win. No. Our guest on this week's podcast is Bill Ballou. He covers the Red Sox for the Worcester Telegram Gazette. Uh, welcome to the show, Bill. How are you? Doing well. Uh, appreciate you uh, you taking time. To, to be on our show, and I have a couple questions uh, about the Red Sox for you, and that's you know primarily what you cover for the paper, uh, but before I, I ask you about the, the Red Sox, uh, I wanted to touch on an article you wrote in early April about youth baseball uh, participation. Uh, as I mentioned in an email to you, uh, I helped coach my nephew's Little League team this week, and so my my interest uh, in uh, just kind of trends in, in youth baseball was peaked. And uh, I thought your article was really good, and um, had a lot of uh, good insights from a lot of different people. Uh, so, you in your article, you talk about how the success of the major league game has never been more popular. Millions of people going to games, uh, you know, tens of thousands watching on TV, even more than that. Uh, so, I guess in your opinion, um, just what's what's kind of the the the, the state of youth baseball, uh, especially in the Boston area? Well, it's you
2: know, it's. The interest, I don't know if the interest is declining. uh, That's harder to measure. That's sort of a subjective, but participation is declining in baseball. Uh, Some of that is because there are more options. I know I graduated from high school in 1970 quite a while ago. When I was in high school, if you were a a, boy, your choices of playing sports football in the fall, fall, the winter, or baseball in the spring. Mm-hmm. And now at the same high school, uh, you probably have uh, different options in every season. So uh, you You may have fewer kids playing baseball. You have more kids playing sports in general. And that's probably a more important uh, part of the equation than just the number of playing uh, baseball by itself or football by itself. Uh, but there are more options. That's one of the reasons. And yeah, another reason and people speak to is that uh, – it's just a game that, uh, that is possibly for an older generation, as, as many things are, uh, you know, like vinyl records. Mm-hmm. Um, and baseball's question, uh, issue moving forward, is this uh, lack of participation at the youth level going to translate into lack of interest when they grow up and they have to buy tickets to watch games or, or you know, a cable fee. Uh, or whatever rights fee to watch games on t v or is that going to be irrelevant is is that part of the uh, uh equation going to be the same and, and nobody has the answer right now yet
0: mm-hmm. in the article you mentioned that little league uh participation has dropped from three million in the nineties to around two million uh today, and even in you know communities like Worcester uh you've seen you know twelve teams drop to, down to you know below ten teams, and it seems just like a really kind of depressing. Situation when you think about it, or when you talk about the numbers, uh, to see a game that so many people love and not be played as much. Uh, and like you said, there's a lot of reasons for that. So, I guess, in your opinion, uh, should baseball fans uh, be worried about uh, the future of the game? Just your opinion?
2: I don't think so. This is, you know, I'll point out uh, I, I love the baseball history. I've been a member of the Society for American Baseball Research since it's almost its founding in the, uh, in the 1970s. And I've read a lot about baseball history, and, and I've visited a lot of baseball history sites and, and, and things like that. And, and I find that this is this is a sick—baseball has always been worried about the future. If you would read stories uh, and articles from the 1920s about baseball, you'd hear fans and, and players complaining about how things were much better in the 1880s. <laughs> and, of course, in the 1940s, it was, things were better in the 1920s. And then it, it, it's just the same. Remember, in the 1920s, there was no Little League. Uh, but hmm. the but the petition came and there's no way to measure. You know, you you can measure Little League participation now because you have to sign up and pay a fee generally to play. There's no way to measure how many kids were playing ball in in playgrounds and in backyards in 1925. So it's hard to compare the numbers. Uh, so I think that, that baseball is such a part of our fabric that uh, it will indeed survive. And uh, you know, so I think this is a, maybe you're borrowing trouble here. Uh, As a baseball writer to cover these games, I worry about the pace of games because they seem very slow. And I know that when I cover a game now, and I started covering games in 1987, is there's a lot more downtime during the game. used to be you couldn't take your eye off the action because something was happening all the time. Now uh, you you can can chit-chat and look at your computer screen and do something because it takes so long to get the innings in. So I think that baseball has always been worried about its future. And uh, I think baseball will be fine. Uh, So I think that this is an interesting story, but I don't think it's necessarily a significant story in terms of the future. We'll find out probably in 25 years, if I'm right or wrong.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's uh, that's some good insight. Uh, You talked to J.P. Ricciardi in the the article, and um, he's a a Worcester native and executive for the Mets now, and he talks about how he's concerned about the future of the game. Uh, as well and um you know rob manford has made pace of play kind of a big initiative and he seems to kind of be on board with some changes um what's your take on things like a pitch clock or limiting the number of mound visits and stuff like that are you you, a supporter of that Do you think it would actually influence uh youth participation or youth interest at all
2: I, i don't think i don't think so i don't think that the differences you can make and and it's and it's concerned and as active about pace of play as baseball has been for a while, and not just Commissioner Manfred, but even under Bud Selig, uh, They had guys going around making you know, a pace of play. So Steve Palermo, the great umpire from Oxford, Mass, where I live here, uh, was a pace of play guy for like 10 years. And the fact is nothing has happened. Uh, they, they can't seem to, to change that trend. I mean, My favorite words in the English language are income tax evasion. Uh, Al Capone, one of the greatest murderers of all time, went to jail for income tax evasions, not not for murdering people. Mm-hmm. There are other ways to do what you want. All these rule changes—they have simple steps might might take care of. This. For instance, umpires should not be uh, they should not uh, call time out unless a guy's hurt. So now, if you, the catcher wants to the mound and talk to the pitcher, uh, he risks that when someone steal a base on him because because you know he's talking to the pitcher. If you take that out of the game, they really can't do that kind of thing. So there, there are other ways to address these issues. Uh, I'd like, I believe, in limiting pitching staffs to ten. Pitch, you can use ten pitchers. All of a sudden, you can't match and change three pitchers inning like we see happen quite frequently. Uh, that changes the entire strategy of the game. Uh, it makes a more interesting game in terms of strategy because not only do you have fewer so you have to you know, deal with your pitching. Like you add probably you add three position players, and now you can pinch hit and pinch run more than you could. And those things interest me in terms of pace of play and style of play. Uh, but do I think that you know taking ten minutes uh, off the average game is going to uh, increase youth participation? I really don't think that's going to happen. If, if that's going to cater to the people who love the game already,
0: yeah, it's not. It's not like a a ten year old is going to be into a two hour and fifty minute yeah. game rather than a three hour.
2: Yeah. But uh, when you look at the NFL, which is incredibly popular, and those games take forever. I mean, they can take four hours now. Mm-hmm. and uh that's true uh i still think you know college football you know i last college football game i went to umass uh it took four hours to play that game because the tv came out so the game would be moving all suddenly they would be a stop and for five minutes uh they'd be awarding someone some you know public service thing while the tv commercial running, and then a guy would wave his finger and start playing again and, and it took forever and yet uh football's incredibly popular so uh, this is all such new stuff and we really have no data from the past to uh to measure everything against interest. So uh, I'm just not sure where it's going. You know, I know what the raw numbers are. There are a few kids playing baseball in the Little League, uh, but I don't know where it's going to take us. Uh, what I do for sure is that people see the trends and they're concerned about what, what, what's going to happen with that, and they're going to monitor it goes on. And I think you'll find adjustments being made, if necessary, uh, if it continues.
0: All right, uh, just a couple questions on the Red Sox before we finish up. Yeah. Uh they uh, beat the cubs last night um in a in a good game uh they are 12 and 10 heading into to Saturday just 12 home runs for them so far this year and uh, their pitching yep. staff has has the starting staff has struggled outside of Chris Sale uh so what uh, uh what's your opinion on the Red Sox so far this year what are people feeling uh in northeast uh, at, at at 12
2: and 10 i mean that's an acceptable record at this point in the season you know you, if you start uh 5 and 20, you knock yourself out in April. Well, I there's still, I mean, there's a lot of time in there. Mm-hmm. They're above 500. They're, they're certainly contenders. But they're the worst looking 12 and 10 team I've ever seen uh, because <laughs> they seem to lose in ugly fashion. Like you say, they don't, they're, they're not hitting like Red Sox did. All the things that they thought would happen this fall, they knew that losing Ortiz would cost them some offense. They didn't think it would cost them this much offense. And at the same time, they somehow managing. You know, Chris Sale has won. Even though he's been the best pitcher in the American League, it's not adding up. They seem to be winning more than they deserve to be winning the way that they're playing. And uh, so maybe they're actually a better team than they perceive.
0: Uh, final question: uh, You had a really interesting perspective on the Theo Epstein era because you saw kind of his whole tenure um, with the Red Sox, yeah. and then for him to, to leave to the Cubs. With the Cubs back in town um, this weekend, and with a lot of former or former Red Sox like Lester and Lackey and Uihara, uh just what what are like Red Sox fans' uh, perceptions of the Cubs, um, and wh- what's a Red Sox fans' like typical view of Theo Epstein?
2: Well, Red Sox fans are eternally grateful to Theo Epstein because he uh, he, he finally won the World Series for them in two thousand four. Epstein's interesting reputation. I don't know if you ever if you ever saw the movie Glenn Gary uh, Glenn Ross. It's whole movie, and they, what it comes down to is that uh, they have all these salesmen who are great at uh, finding clients and talking to clients, but they can't close the deal. They they can't get them to actually sign an agreement to to, to buy this property. And uh, all the great general managers that, that you have out there uh Dave Dombrowski is one of them. They put together these wonderful teams. They contend every year, but they have a hard time winning it all. And Epstein uh, is the guy who can close. He's able to recognize uh, exactly what uh, the final factors are to put together a championship team and to make the necessary moves, the classic example being the trade of Nomar Garcia-Para uh, in the, that 2004 season. Uh, so that's been his genius. And uh, we were talking last night, and and he mentioned, you know, I asked him to compare the differences between the 2004 Red Sox and the 2016 Cubs. And he said the 2004 Red Sox, you know, when the 2002 team, which uh, was Mike actually Mike Ports team, he was the that year, uh, and and there was the assistant, was a terrific team that won 90-something games. And they didn't have to tear it apart and rebuild. Hmm. And they just added a couple of complementary players. And and in two years, in 2003, they came – you know, uh, one inning or one pitch away from going to the, uh, uh, the World Series in 2004, they won it all. So he recognized that and he knew exactly what he had to do with the Cubs. It was different. They had nothing and they had to, to build almost from scratch. And he was very good at recognizing how to do that. So that's been Theo's genius is recognizing exactly what he had to do to create a championship team and making them the necessary moves to do it. I mean, these, these, you know, he has won, uh, and he did in 2007 with the Sox, too. I mean, he's won now three World Series. Um, and then a the guy like Dombrowski, who's with the Red Sox, has won one World Series. I mean, Dave Dombrowski has won as many World Series as Ben Charrington did. Hmm. And Buck Showalter's like that. Showalter has a reputation a great manager. He has never won a World Series. Hmm. Uh, and that's the genius of Theo is he's been able to finish the deal and go all the way. And that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And that's why he's, uh, he's uh, regarded so highly in Boston respect for what he did in Boston, but the respect for what he did with the Cubs, too. It's not easy, and he's very unique in, in the ability to do that.
0: Yep, in my opinion, already a, a pretty clear Hall of Famer um, with the breaking the curses with two two different teams.
2: I, right. would, I would think so. I mean, the interesting thing about Theo is he's so young. Yeah. Uh, who knows how long he's going to do this? I mean, by the time Theo's eligible for the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, well, we'll probably be dead. I mean, it's just, you know, cause it's, it's a veteran's thing. I mean, he's not voting as a player. It's a veteran's thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's still a young man and he has years and years and years ahead of him. Who knows what he'll be able to accomplish in, in that time or if he stays in baseball. But, uh, I would think, uh, yeah, at some point in time in, in the future, when he's eligible from the Veterans Committee that he will uh, he'll get into the Hall of Fame as an executive.
0: Yeah, he was twenty eight when he uh, started with the Red Sox. I'm twenty six, so I'm I'm just expecting two years to be named the GM of a baseball team. That's my that's my career, you know, well, My life uh, life goal.
2: <laughs> the interesting thing is with the you know, general managers when I was growing up very clear, clearly defined role. And I mean, Theo is the president of the Cubs, but in fact he's a general manager. He makes the decisions. It was mm-hmm. like that when the uh, uh, you know, Dombrowski came in. He was the president of the Red Sox, but well, he's in fact the general manager. So uh, yeah, I guess that you have to change the term to maybe chief baseball executive, or maybe CBE. But Theo has been that or wherever he's been, except for one year as an assistant uh, in Boston. And uh, it's—I uh, guess my suggestion—and when people ask about being having a future in sports, uh, go to law school. Uh, all the general managers nowadays seem to, you know, have, have gone to law school, and uh, even in hockey, which is the other sport I cover. So uh, that, that's the way. But uh, uh, it's a, uh, a fascinating business, uh, a difficult business, a time-consuming business. Uh, it's unbelievable how time-consuming sports has become. I remember reading the, the bio for Vince Lombardi, who was, you know, the greatest coach, football coach of his era. And uh, Vince Lombardi, as great as he was and as dedicated as he was to winning, at the end of the day, you know, the practice, 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 uh, till like three or four in the afternoon. At the end of the day, he'd go home and watch McHale's Navy on TV, like everyone else does, and have supper in front of the TV set. And uh, I think that you know everything is so consumed now uh, you know, with winning in all the sports that nobody has a life like that. And uh, that may be why someone, you know, Theo may decide that you know in a few years, you know, I've I've, I've had enough of this. I want to just uh, you know enjoy my family and enjoy my spare time. Uh, so it's it, it's a challenging and, and difficult job, but it can be incredibly rewarding.
0: That's right. All right. Uh, well, uh, this was Bill Balu. He is a writer for the Worcester Telegram Gazette. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Bill.
2: You're welcome.
0: Have a, a good weekend. Oh, thanks to uh, both Grady and uh, Bill Ballou for their uh, their time in uh, doing an interview for our podcast. Pete, I'm curious, kind of putting those two interviews together, being around Grady's team um, this week, did you sense uh, kind of a lack of enthusiasm, or was there a, a shortage in numbers, or um, did you did you uh, see a passion for baseball <laughs> still? No, kids are definitely excited to play. I know Grady's excited. Yeah, the kids there are very excited, and like very wide variety of talent level. Uh, Grady is one of the better ones just because he's played so much, mm-hmm. like, recreationally, like not is his first uh, time playing organized baseball. Uh, so he he kind of notices that he's like much better than everyone else, and like you know, he'll comment on like other kids really struggling. So I think he's even kind of noticing uh, that, which I think might deter him from playing like these sorts of like city organized baseball Mm -hmm. rather than like the traveling circuit. Yeah. Um, so I can kind of see the natural like tendency to go towards like the better players and like more organized. Like this league is really unorganized, Mm -hmm. Uh, like the jerseys and the hats are like weird sizes (laughs) and like aunt Millie's bread and like Chevy or like the sponsor. So it's like a weird national thing. So none of it's like, local to champagne and mm-hmm. I don't know it's just kind of a weird setup uh the fields we play on are like pretty rough um and not well kept but the kids love playing like Grady loves playing other kids they're excited to be there there's like 15 kids in the team so there's a lot but um champagne urbana has a lot of people in it so I don't know if the mm-hmm. number of teams is smaller um, but the number of kids on this team is, is high and like they all showed up for both practices I was at mm-hmm um, so yeah, I mean it. Like uh, Bill said in the, the interview, I think uh, the grass will always be greener. Like we'll always be complaining or mm-hmm. reflecting back on a time where things were better with baseball. Um, but you know, it's not terrible now. Like two million kids still play little league. That's a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. It's not the three million that used to play, but it's you know, it's more than that played before it was created. So, yeah, then both coaching and then in this interview made me kind of more optimistic about yeah. youth baseball. and it strikes me, uh, that if you know baseball can uh, baseball and youth circles can survive, uh crack cocaine trial, uh <laughs> baseball strike Well the Black Sox even. And steroids, uh in the two thousands, then um we we should be good at least for a little while. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh <laughs> I think um baseball uh can withstand a lot of things all right uh so closing up the podcast here uh our 2005 mvp ps2 battle paul oh. is 2 and 0 oh. <laughs> dominating yeah so looking at the box score from last week paul won four to two. you know that if you caught the um our live periscope on do Twitter. you really though because the periscope was a little shoddy in terms <laughs> of the uh, you could see the score the, the video yeah this work. week this week it should be better so check it out uh on our twitter page uh again for me rough uh day on the bases. two runs on 15 hits <laughs> and burley went the distance so it's a pretty impressive start two yeah. run two runs on 15 hits yeah another loss for prior 0-2 on the season interestingly enough uh mark Pryor was ejected from the game <laughs> As was Juan Uribe. There's three ejections right there. After uh, Two White Sox hitters and one pitcher. Yeah, we found found the... It was Kerry Wood that was ejected. Right, yeah. We found out that after you hit someone, there's a button that you can press to charge the mound. That really escalated things quickly. Yep, so we're going to go play that right now. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, You can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, Please leave us a review there. You can find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Uh, please send us emails at afootinthebox@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at afootinthebox. And check out all our writing at afootinthebox.com. I have continued to write a blog post every day, almost through one month. Or I guess by the time you listen to this, I will be through one month of blogging, and I have enjoyed it so far. So go check that out, afootinthebox.com. Paul is also writing a daily kind of collection of baseball writings. That's mm-hmm. pretty good as well. The daily triple. All right, Paul, you got anything else? I or not, thanks as always to our fans and a reminder to keep a foot in the box. We'll talk to you next week. She's leaving,